जी गुरु वाष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए बहुत भक्त बृंद की जाए बहुत प्रेम आनंदे so we gathered today and and throughout the weekend and the topic of discussion is guru tattva the deliberation uh, on the nature of guru and this morning i uh, began the discussion by reading from prabhupad's uh, address on the occasion of the commemoration of the appearance of his own gurudev in in bombay and he stressed the point therein that uh, the guru is one so just to keep everyone on their toes we take it in another direction ruchetan charitamrita the great krishnadas kaviraj goswami has begun his treatise with the words vande gurun and uh, gurun is of course the plural of the guru so he says gurus are many <laughs> and we heard this morning that the guru is one so we we try to harmonize these these two dif- apparently uh, opposite directions godivashnavism of course so you have to stay awake for this because whether it be guru tattva or shiva tattva or shakti tattva or even vishnu tattva it tends to be rather avatar tattva rather complex and diverse all these different tattvas and and again so it is with uh, with guru tattva we have vande guru so he offers his respect as he begins his treatises as i say with with uh, with to a to a plurality of of gurus so in godi vaishnavism we have the the kula guru the parma pradasha guru the nam guru mantra guru sanyas guru uh, ragmar guru so many types of of gurus but here in particular in in uh, chaitanya charitamrita uh, kaviraj goswami emphasizes two manifestations of sri guru and uh, they are the uh, the diksha guru and the siksha guru diksha is, is about giving and siksha is also so siksha means instructions and diksha uh, is that um, process by which the uh, knowledge is transmitted through initiation it's a sambandha it's an establishment of a relationship knowledge self knowledge in godi vaishnavism is relational that's why in our recent publication oh my friend oh my friend which speaks about the inner life of our gurudev sri bhaktivedanta swami propad in a very charming i thought in beautiful way with regard to his own spiritual sentiments i wrote in the forward that it's important to know the inner life of the guru of course it will known be known by his grace and her about her or by her grace but by by, by realization and so forth and and uh, paying close attention to the practices and what not um, but um, this side of figure the inner life and who would not want to know for one thing but 
the, the point I'm making here is that, that to know oneself, as I made there, requires knowing this, because the knowledge is relational. In other words, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, we are, we are one with the, the absolute and different at the same time. The difference is, is kind of the beauty that makes for the possibility of, of love. In love, you have to be one, but uh, there have to be two. Two that become one, you and I become we, something like that. It's a, it's a kind of, as I said before, it's a kind of a movement. So we, you know, we, we can't rest without love, and when we find love, we, we move in another way then. It's a dynamic and growing and dancing, if you will, not still, alone. Um, so it's relational. So we have a relationship with the guru, and we know ourselves in relation to Guru. We have to know who the Guru is if we are to know ourselves, because knowing ourselves is, again, as I say, part of a relationship. Relationship with Bhagwan, with Godhead, and with the manifestation of the Godhead through which we come to know about Him, which is Sri Guru. So, Diksha is the, is the giving of the knowledge that, that makes possible the formation of that uh, relationship. And Siksha, of course, is then instruction, relevant instruction that, that serves to foster that, to water that, to help that, that uh, seed, if you will, to, to grow and bear uh, fruit and flowers and fruit. So these are the two aspects of Guru that are emphasized here in this early part of Chaitanya Charitamrita in the very beginning, where Kaviraj Goswami offers his respect, Bande Gurun, and then he goes on to explain it in a few verses. The idea of a plurality of guru is also mentioned in Srimad Bhagavatam and the 11th canto of the, of the Bhagavat, uh, Krishna mentions to Uddhava that uh, he says, Nahi ekasmad guru jnanam sustiram syatsupuskalam. It's a nice verse, but it's a little uh, sometimes bewildering because it, it says that uh, nahi, nahi, certainly not, Ekasmat guru jnanam. From one guru, sustiram syatsupuskalam. Sustiram means to be stiram, to be fixed in jnanam, knowledge. And puskalam means complete. So sustiram syatsupuskalam. To complete, complete knowledge and completely to be fixed in that knowledge. Nahi. Certainly not ekasmad guru jnanam. You understand? From one guru, Bhagavatam says, you can't arrive at this. From one guru, it's certainly. And so, here we are to celebrate our, our guru's <laughs> appearance in our life. And he's telling us, it's not me, or there's, there's more of us out there. <laughs> keep, keep looking. And you thought you, your search was, had come to an end here. So, uh, some explanation is uh, required. Um, actually, this verse in Bhagavad comes in a, in a section of the Bhagavad where the, uh, the story of the Avadut is given. Avadut, Avadut means Avadut, who uh, looks like he's a lower person, but he's, he's um, so uh, internally absorbed, that he's oblivious to the outside. So from the outside, external perspective, he looks like he may be a fool or uh, a rather odd person. 
a bag lady or something like that, but actually has deep knowledge. So Avadut, the Avadut, and the Avadut was uh, ex uh, explaining he had, I think, 24 gurus. This is the context in which this verse comes. And these gurus were all described as different um, aspects of nature, the earth, the moon, different uh, creatures that he saw and so forth, all of which, through the eye of introspection, he learned something from, he got instruction from. So in the context of this, this statement of Krishna comes at the end. Not Certainly not from one guru alone. But Jiva Goswami has made a beautiful comment on that. He said, what this means here, of course, is that of course we can get all knowledge from one guru. We put our chips on that. <laughs> we invest there. But So this is one explanation. But, but what it means to take shelter of the guru and to hear from him or her is that we should hear in such a way as to digest that information, think about it, to be introspective about it. In other words, he's teaching there very nicely that this is, this is uh, the guru is essential, but your participation is also essential. You're taking the knowledge that is being offered and integrating that, assimilating that, digesting that, that exercise, is required. In other words, you have to think about what's been given to you. When we met Pujapad Bhaktirak Chakshira Dev Goswami Maharaj, this is exactly what he told us. He's, of course, my Sikshu Guru and the uh, beloved, dear uh, friend and godbrother of my Diksha Guru, Isi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. And when Prabhupada passed, we had the good fortune, some of us, of coming under the shelter of Pujapad Sridhar Maharaj. And this is what he told us. He said, Your Guru Maharaj has put so much knowledge inside your heart, even when you weren't looking. He was busy to, to, to invest it there. And now, in his absence, after his passing from the world, you have to think about that now. What is the significance of that? Apply that. It's like you've gone to school and you've graduated, now you've got to go out and get a job. <laughs> and you have to put all that in place. And what does it mean? The practical application of that. Theoretical knowledge alone is, is, is not enough. Not that he only gave theoretical knowledge, but he gave you the knowledge such that if you, if you digest it, if you assimilate it and think about it, then that, that, that churning process, that introspection. Bhakti is not without introspection. Hardly is that the case. Sometimes it's thought like that. I gave a, told a story before, it's worth repeating perhaps on this occasion. I was, had the opportunity to, to speak once a group of people, and um, I was, of course, speaking about bhakti and the beauty of bhakti over, over jnana, how bhakti is the end of, of knowledge and, and whatnot. And um, after the lecture, a fellow said to me uh, that, um, you know, we've got bhaktis in our ashram, too. He was apparently lived in an ashram. He said they're mostly all uh, women who just really love the guru. And... Uh, but they don't have much knowledge. And he said, you know, but for a, for a bhakti, you sure got a lot of janana. <laughs> Which is, of course, a mispronunciation of gyan. <laughs> so I told him, real, real bhakti is not, is not uh, empty of knowledge. It's pregnant with knowledge. It's full of knowledge. And this is what Krishna says in the Gita. What does he say in the ninth chapter? The ninth chapter is, of course, the center of the Gita because it consists of 18 chapters. So in the center is like if you want to take some 
something valuable, you want to hide it in the center of the book. So sometimes in Costa Rica, I put my money in, the, in a book and put it somewhere in the, in the room, and it's in Madovan there, in the jungle. Not that anybody's coming, but anyway, I put it in the book. So you, you, put, it in a, you put it in the center. Yeah, yeah. I've got other hiding places. I don't have much money, so it's not much to worry about. But at any rate, there Krishna has placed the treasure in the center of the book. That is the ninth chapter, Rajavidyam, Rajaguyam, it begins. This is the, he says, I'm going to speak now about the king of knowledge. And Raja Vidya, Vidya means knowledge, Raja means king. Raja Vidyam, Rajaguyam, Guyam means secret. So the king of secrets, the king of knowledge, I'm going to speak about. Therefore, sometimes people refer to that chapter as the chapter about Raja Yoga. The, the king of uh, yoga, and they think it's about gyan, because Krishna says it's about gyan. It's the highest knowledge and the most secretive, the king of secrets, the king of knowledge, and, and so forth. But if you follow the chapter carefully, you see what, what the conclusion of it is. He says, he says that bhakti is the highest knowledge. This is a chapter about unalloyed bhakti. As he goes in the, further, further through the chapter, as he gets about three quarters of the way through, and he's sorting things out, different types of bhakti and what's not bhakti, and so when he comes about three quarters of the way through, he starts speaking about bhakti, he becomes very emotional. He makes statements like, He starts talking about his devotees, and he can't find any fault in them, even if people, if they even have faults, and and so forth. He gets very emotional. And in the end he says, Manmana Bhavaman Bhakto. This is it. This is the end of knowledge. Manmana, think of me, Bhavaman Bhakto. Become my devotee. Love me. Show respect for me. This is the end of knowledge. Love, as we know, has knowledge inside of it. It's a kind of essential knowledge that you're not, you're not burdened by carrying some extra information or something like that. When you love, in other words, you know what to do. So bhakti is uh, is uh, is uh, is is the king of knowledge, the end of end of knowledge. So it's not devoid. My point is of introspection. It's as Prabhupada used to like to say. It's not just a sentiment. It is a sentiment, but it is a sentiment that has been that has been tempered. That it, that has been preceded, I should say, by knowledge that puts material sentiment in its pro- in, in proper perspective. We are riding on a wave of the oceans of material emotions and uh, arising as they do from attachments to things that don't endure. That's why it's unsteady. It's up and down and so forth. And so we may steady ourselves by knowledge, by understanding, of the, of the, in the very least, of the impermanence of the whole affair. So if you lose your job, at least you know. Anyway, the whole sun's going to burn out. Everybody's going to lose their job. So you have to look at it philosophically and, and go within, forced austerity, even by, even by the force of circumstances, if we have to become austere. Then we resolve the situation by, by thinking. By the mind becomes, in other words, the mind and our introspective side and so forth is awakened to the extent that we disconnect ourselves from the world of sensual stimulations, even if we're disconnected by force and our 
paycheck is cut in half or something like that. And we have to we have to think about it then. We have to get uh, solace through philosophy. And of course, if we're fortunate to be connected with such a beautiful philosophy, we can we can make some sense out of it all. And uh, so anyway, at least the knowledge of the impermanence of the world should be factored in to steady us from the tossing and turning on the waves of, of material emotions, things that are here today and gone tomorrow, and it's a problem because I'm attached to them today and they're, they're gone tomorrow. I thought they were one thing, they turned out to be something else, and so on and so forth. So, so this uh, spiritual emotion of, of, of bhava prem, that uh, it, it, it arises, it's prefaced, I should say, it, it's pregnant with knowledge and it manifests first the knowledge within us of the impermanence of the world, which fosters detachment and then an investment, proportionately, in the invisible, apparently invisible, and, to, and, and by that investment it, becomes, it starts to become visible. Then the possibility then of, of real love and real emotion, which is based on attachment, but to an object that's not impermanent, that won't be, that, that's here today and it'll be there tomorrow and the next day also. Forever. That is the idea of, of Krishna, of course, Brahman, the Absolute, to be attached to that. Our identity materially is a result of an attachment. So I'm, an, I'm an identified as a father because I'm attached to my daughter, mother because I'm attached to my son, or as may be the case. I'm a Californian because I'm attached to, to California. So we are a product of our attachments, materially speaking. And as we develop attachment for that which endures for the Godhead, that attachment will foster an identity also, an enduring identity. So this, of course, is the whole idea of spiritual emotion and love and so forth. But as you can see, it arises, and as you know, out of knowledge. So bhakti is not without uh, introspection. So when we hear from the guru, it's not that we sit around the guru and we offer some flowers and... Uh, and uh, say sweet words and, and so forth. And we have to hear from him, and we have to digest that, assimilate that. Sridhar was quick to tell us, now your guru has invested so many things in you, and practically speaking, he told you not to think, because you didn't know how to think. Mm -hmm. That's another thing. So stop thinking, and then, while well, he suspended our uh, intelligence and to an extent and so forth, and he could get away with this kind of crime, so to speak, of, uh, of invading our, our heart and, uh, and investing there, storing there so many things. So when we met Puja Patrita Marsh, he told us, now, you, now is the time you have to think about all those things. And so Jiva Goswami makes the point that if we hear properly from the guru, one guru who's competent to deliver us, then if we hear properly from them, pay attention there, then we assimilate and we, we digest uh, we, with introspection, we um, understand the implications, the significance, and so forth. And what happens is that we start to see the knowledge that the Guru has given us in a practical sense in the world. The world, in other words, starts to speak to us from that vantage point. You follow? And so we start getting siksha, or instructions, from everything, from everywhere. Like Sri Chaitanya Dev said, Trinadupi Sunichena. The grass said to him that 
when people walk over me, see how humble I am. I just bend with no resistance. Why don't you be like that? The tree said to him, just see how I stand here like this and I tolerate the cold, the heat. Even in the context of doing so, I give shelter to other people from the cold and from the heat and from the rain. If they chop me down, I shade them while they do so. I'm very tolerant. Why not you tolerant like me? So he had a reading of the environment, or the environment uh, became alive. Guru means to make us alive, actually. We are like, like, um, what is that? There's a nice verse, Haribhakti Sudodai. He says that, um, I can't remember, the gist of the verse is that um, without Haribhakti, then one is just a walking, Dead person, hmm? like you know, like the, 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 yeah, something like that. Or if you know, if you, if, if they, they, it's an unmentionable thing almost, but to, for the sake of making the point, they, they cut the head off the chicken and it goes around and round and round and round and round, and, but there's no meaning to that. So, Bhagavad Bhakti Nasya Jati Shastram Japatapa Aparnasya Vadehasya Mandanam Lokarantram. This is the verse. Bhagavad Bhakti Nasya. Without Bhagavad Bhakti. It's just a walking dead person. Have movements, but there's no real life. So Guru brings bhakti, and bhakti gives life. And life, what, what, that's what we, what we say. What do we say is golok. Golok, everything is alive. The trees are alive. They're kalpatru. They can fulfill all your desires. And the stones, and chintamani, and so forth. It means this, in one sense. The Guru turns the whole dead world, if you will, that's the world of our mind. Mind likes to make the world dead. Why? What do I mean by that? Mind, we, we look at the world through the filter of our mind. And our mind um, ruling over us, as it does, it causes us to look at things through its lens as if those things were meant for us. To enjoy. With an enjoying spirit, we look at things. This takes the life out of things because things have a life of their own. They're not, they aren't existing only for us. And so the extent that we look at things as if they exist for me, for us, we take the life, all, all that they are, all that they could be, and all that they could mean to us as well is taken out. The guru-guided vision, so to speak, is one in which we begin to see ourselves not as the enjoyer of things, but as the servant. And the whole world, then we find, takes on a new life. It, when we say that the colloque is all alive, everything is alive, it, this is the guru vision, guru-guided vision. The whole world begins to talk to us and talk to us about ourselves, the nature of ourselves. Everything, be, the whole environment, to use a, a phrase of Puja Pashutamarsh, becomes friendly. After all, if you look through the lens of your mind to enjoy things, and, and, and the mind tells you, I am Californian, I'm a, I'm a woman, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, and so forth, and, uh, and then we need things to support that identity, which is unsupportable, ultimately, but we, it's, as long as we have that sense of identity, then I need, I have to take, right? If I think I'm something that's constituted of, that, that won't endure, and we do, 
our material sense of self will not endure. If we are absorbed in that sense of self, then we have to get out and and take and try to make it endure. So, so the hunters and the, the hunted, not a friendly place. But the but the place is a vision. It's only a vision. So to change your angle of vision, Guru is to help us with this. But then, with a different vision, not that I'm the enjoyer, that I'm the taker, but I'm the giver. Then the world responds accordingly. And all that the world is, and all that it has to offer, comes to us. That's why bhakti is not about world escaping, as in the same way that jnana is. It gives us the same perspective, in one sense, but more. It gives us the perspective of the temporal nature of material manifestations. But it takes us further and shows us that they have a purpose, the material manifestation, in relation to Bhagavan. So it's relational, again, knowledge. So the guru-guided vision causes us, if, we, if, we, if we're actually under it, in other words, that we don't just get some verses and regurgitate them and foster our own ego by, by such, thinking that we're, we're really got something to say and and um, and uh, like listening to ourselves and so forth. But if we actually take it in and digest it and so forth, then we look out and what do we see? Here Goswami says we see then the whole world is, starts to speak to us. So we have so many gurus then. So many gurus, but it's all coming from one guru. So the vision so, so I've said before, if you don't want one guru in the name of having many gurus then you won't have any gurus. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you have, really have one guru, you really have one guru, qualified guru, and you really take shelter there, then you'll have many gurus. Then the whole world will become um, your guru. The moon will speak to you, the sun will speak to you, in ways that they don't speak to other people, because you're approaching them differently. So it turns, makes the whole world alive. Purnam Vishva Purnam Sukhayate. Vishwanachakuritakura said like this, the whole world becomes an abode of happiness, the place that was miserable from the point of view of Gyan, that we should get away from and so forth. Well, there's some truth that what we get away from is the vision. That's all. So change the vision, the world becomes friendly. It has its place then. So to enter into kind of a lover's uh, vision, this is the guru-guided vision. So one guru, yes, that's true. One guru in this sense. There's many gurus, but one. The many come out of the one. Taking shelter truly of one guru. Pujapachita must use the language, land of gurus. Where we're going, the whole, that realm is all gurus. Everything is the guru. Everything is speaking to me. So we have to listen very carefully. We have to pay close attention. Focus in one place is the idea. We're a prominent manifestation of the Godhead has appeared as our Diksha Guru, who, who gives us the possibility of that relationship by sharing the mantra. This is why the Diksha Guru is one, Siksha Guru is plural, many. Why? Because Diksha is one. The mantra is given once, one mantra. The Siksha is, is plural because there's so many instructions that can be given to help us foster the understanding and grow within the understanding that that mantra is, is pregnant with. Earlier in, the, in, this, in this text, Krishna's Kaviras Goswami has paid his respects to the three principal deities of Vrindavan. And two of them, Manmohan and Govindaji, 
preside over the two aspects that these two manifestations of Guru Diksha and Shiksha, they preside over these two. Man Mohan presides over the Diksha Guru, Sambandha, and Govinda Dev over the Siksha. Siksha is Abhideya Tattva, how to do bhakti. Sambandha is the possibility for bhakti by establishing the relationship. If we don't have the relationship established, then what's the possibility of doing the bhakti? That is the cultivation of the relationship. So we shouldn't get caught in the trap that I see some devotees sometimes. Siksha Guru is more important, Diksha Guru is not important, Diksha Guru is more important, Siksha Guru is not important. These are two complementary um, manifestations of Sri Guru that are essential. We, our Diksha Guru will also give Siksha in most cases, obviously. Otherwise, why we took shelter of him in the, in the first place? Because we heard the Siksha, the instruction, we were inspired, so we came forward. And that will be fostered. There may be others that can give siksha. And ultimately, as I say, we can get siksha from the whole environment. And we'll see my guru is speaking to me here. My guru is speaking to me there. Because the speaking is all fostering what's given at the time of diksha. The possibility for that, uh, that relationship. There's a nice verse that he gives glorifying those two deities presiding over these two aspects of our culture of bhakti. He says... Cite the four, he says, Jayatam surato pangor mamamandamatergati matsarvasthapadambojo radha madanamohano. He offers his respects to Maran Mohan, presiding over Sambandha. Diksha comes under this Sambandha, the establishing of a relationship. Sambandha again, relational knowledge. He says, Jayatam surato. He says, I'll explain to you why it's Sambandha. Sambandha means relational knowledge, so it means that it's like it's Sarvam Kolo Vidam Brahma. Everything is Brahman. Sarvam Kolo Vidam Brahma. Everything is Brahman. So what does that mean from the Gaudiya Vaishnava point of view? It means everything is Brahman. It means there are many things and they are all Brahman. Do you understand? It's not that it means there's nothing. There's no thing. There's only Brahman. There are many things, and they're all Brahman. They're all connected to Brahman. They're all his Shakti, as may be the case, or manifestations of himself. So, relational knowledge here, in a general sense, means we have a relationship with the world, obviously. The world has a relationship with us. What is, the, what is that? What is, the, what is the world in relation to Godhead? What is the Godhead in relation to us? How does this all work together? These are all the things, you know, that's so. There's Bhagawan, there's the world, there's, in a simple sense, there's us. What's the relationship between them all? In Advaita, they just try to do away with all three. It's all Brahman. When we say, no, they're all there, they have a relationship. When that's understood, then it all makes, makes sense. Yuga Sami give, give a very nice explanation of the nature of the world and the jiva, why the world and the jivas exist from the point of view of exploring the consciousness of love, or the consciousness of consciousness, I should say, which is which is love. That's another topic, but here he says, anyway, Kaviras Goswami, Jayatam Surato, may the love, the Surata, the love affair, this very special and uh, romantic life of Radha and Madan Mohan. Madan means Cupid. Mohan means bewilder, so who bewilders Cupid. May the love affair of Radha and Krishna that bewilders Cupid, be all victorious. So, of course, the world is running on this, this kind of uh, Cupid's arrows, right? It's making the whole thing go. 
round. I told a story before how I was sitting with Prabhupada once in an 11th story of the building that uh, he had at one time in Manhattan. And uh, I had taken sannyas that year, I think, and he was a young man, about 25 years old. And so Prabhupada, it was just me sitting with Prabhupada, he said, have you seen the New York women? His eyes became very big. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> just to become a sannyasi, you know, and, uh, not supposed to associate with women and so forth, and and, uh, and inappropriately anyway. So I just said, I, uh, I didn't know what to say. And then he just went on. He said, they're so beautiful. New York women are so beautiful. And as he began to talk, he said, and these buildings are going up because they're so beautiful. And the men are after them. And he, was, he said then, long explanation, he said, just see the power of Vishnu Maya. How the whole world is going for on account of this, the attraction between man and woman, the whole world is going on. So this is all, you know, to put it poetically, you know, Cupid's influence, right, over us. And as long as we're under that influence, well, then we're going to be busy building a house that uh, that's going to be foreclosed. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, so, you, you know, you're just building a homeless life for yourself, basically, and you know, spending a lot of energy for that. So, to rise above that, and here, here, so he's glorifying Radha Madan Mohan, Surato Jayatam, their love. He's the transcendental Cupid. He's bewildered Cupid. His love is, is spiritual. It's, in other words, it's based on the knowledge of the impermanence of the world and so forth, and more. And it rises to this frame of bhakti and here you have Brahman dancing, not sitting still, under the influence of its own shakti, moving, dancing, celebrating, a fullness that causes movement that's not out of an emptiness or necessity like our material movement. Our material movement is out of an emptiness and an apparent necessity. So, we, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. You know, we're needy because we've identified with a, with a, with a sense of self that it can't endure. So, yes, therefore, to sit still, do nothing, you must be full. But if you're really full, then Mahaprabhu says, then you have to celebrate that fullness. That's another kind of movement that's not out of, out of, um, out of emptiness, but movement out of fullness. So this is Jayatam Surotopangri. Let this be celebrated. Let this be victorious. So he's explaining, in one sense, the relationship between the world and Bhagwan, And he says, Jayatam Surato Pangor Mamamanda Mater Gati Pangor Mamamanda Mater. He says, he explains the two tracks on which material life run. He says, Pangor, lame. He says, I am lame. Means like, you know, bad leg, something like that. I can't walk. So it's physical, he's talking. And Pangor Mamamanda Mater. Manda Mater means. Ill-advised. So this refers to the, to the to the to the mind, to the intellect, right? So we have the two. We have a psychic dimension to ourselves, and we have a physical dimension to ourselves. So uh, these are the two tracks of material life. They're running on. We 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 have a, a physical side and a psychic side. And he says, "I'm lame, and I'm ill-advised." It means karma and gyan. In simple sense, it means boga and tiag. I'm after to take things. Karma means I'm trying to enjoy, to take, to exploit. 
for myself, for my sense of self. And, and gan means, well, fosters tag, renunciation, knowledge of the impermanence of things causes me to step back from trying to pursue them anymore. The futility of that, what, what that will get me, because that would come into my hand today, and it, as I say, it will be gone tomorrow. So the two tracks of material life, in other words, from a karmic point of view, our life is world-centered. And from a gan point of view, which fosters, karma fosters action and exploitation of things. Gyan fosters detachment from things, knowing that they don't endure. But each is world-centered. One is centered on the world to take it, other is centered on the world to get away from it. In a simple sense, our life moves on these two tracks. Bog, we try to enjoy. When we're dissatisfied with it, tag, we give it up. We want to do something, we do it. It doesn't fulfill us, we say, I'm not doing that again, I've had it. Next week, we're back there doing it again. So we're moving like this, bog, tag, bog, tag, bog, tag. It's a manifestation of karma and gan. He says, these two tracks lead to nowhere in and of themselves. I'm lame and I'm ill-advised, he says. He's talking about karma and gan, the, 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 the tracks of owning and knowing that our life runs on. We try to own and thereby secure our position, or we try to know and thereby secure our position. Know everything or own everything. When we see the futility of trying to own everything, then we may try to know everything. (laughs) (laughs) But the idea of bhakti, of course, is that you can own everything and you can know everything, but you can know the person who owns everything and knows everything. Now, that's pretty cool. And you can know him very intimately. He says in the Gita, end of the fifth chapter, what does he say? Bhuktaram jagatapasam sarvaloka maheshwaram suhidam sarvabhutanam natvamam shantimachati. He says, I own everything, I know everything. And you go, whoa, what's left for me? Then he says, but if you accept this, then suhidam sarvabhutanam. You become my friend. So suddenly we become the friend of the person who knows everything and owns everything. That's, you know, pretty good position to be in. You don't have to be burdened <laughs> by knowing and owning. You just know the person who knows and owns everything. Simple. Karma means that we're taking, we're moving in the wrong direction. And gyan means that we, we stop moving in the wrong direction, but we don't know which direction to move in. So we stand still. We don't know to whom everything belongs, that there's a purpose to, to everything. Mm-hmm. That there's a duty to be performed on our part. That we're a, we have a, we have a, we're aware of a serving nature. So he, he very nicely explains it in this verse the, the nature of material existence, our relationship with the material world, how we're running on these two tracks of karma and gan, and that's making us lame and ill-advised. We've come under the influence of calm, of desire, and the transcendental love of Radha and Krishna is, is beyond that. The relationship with Bhagavan, with the world, and the jivas, and the jivas in the world is kind of nicely explained in this verse. And then he says, oh, about Siksha, about Abhideya, the process. That is, so this is Sambandha. You understand? This is the world, Karman Gyan, and, and, and this, is, this is Bhagavan in his highest reach. This is your position. With this kind of knowledge, you can enter, sensibly, you can enter into a relationship with Bhagavan and overcome the attempt to know and own and so forth, and which, are, which is futile.
Then the means to do that, the means to do that, that is bhakti. So he says, Dibhyad Vrindaranya, Kalpadumadha, Srimad Ratnagara Simhasana Sto, Srimad Radha, Silagobinda Devo, Prastali Visevimano Smarami. Why this verse? It's Avideya Tattva. Why, why is he giving this verse? It's a verse of Smarnam, actually. Smarnam means visualization here, remembrance, meditation. Well, in our school, we are following the ragmarg of bhakti. And so, rag means attachment. So our aspiration is attachment for Krishna, to be attached to the object of our love. Not to love in a detached way, which would be a more reverential love. With reverential love, we, we have an air of detachment. We stand back, and we can't get close, and we, we, we show our love by offering pranam and so forth. But uh, the Godhead is, is uh, troubled by this. It's a very human type of theology, isn't it? And you just think about yourself and, you know, you got to have a few close friends. <laughs> all those people around you just appreciating you all the time. It gets old. That's why, you know, anyway. The president has a husband who's probably his best advisor and knows him the best and, and uh, tells him what nobody else will tell him. You're, you're nuts, you know, or <laughs> whatever. He needs that. So, so the Godhead... Hmm? We are, we are like, uh, you know, in the imprint of the, of the Godhead. What do they say? Like, man and woman made in the image of God, something, something like that. So, Bahu, um, what is it? One desire to become many. So, the many is us, and the stamp of his own ego is there on us as well. So, so in Ragmarg, we don't want we aren't, our aspiration is not reverential love. We want attachment. Attachment means nearness. Attachment means you do things that are unbecoming, right? When you're attached, then you, you can't be polite. You just reach and grab it. And, I've got to have it. So that's why the inhabitants of Vrindavan, they do things unbecoming in relation to Bhagawan from the perspective of those who have reverential love. They think, what is this? Someone is wrestling Krishna to the ground and, and stepping on him with his own feet and this is the object of our love. Uh, he's to be venerated and, uh, and so forth. And uh, Radharani won't let him in the inside the, the, the forest grove, the bower, and you can't come in. No, I don't want to see you. Get out. And she's got her attendants there, not letting him. Everybody wants to get Krishna's attention. She's kicking him out and so forth. This is very odd from the religious, uh, general religious point of view and from the reverential point of view of love of God, which has a detachment to it. This looks very unbecoming, difficult to understand. Therefore, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, a perfect person, has come to explain it as a sannyasin, a perfect character, and so forth. What is the, what is the nature of that love? So, anyway, in a general sense, it's rag, so it's based on attachment that it fosters a, 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 a nearness, an intimacy, and so forth. This is our... Uh, Objective and in the Ragmarg, then this smarnam is very prominent. Chanting is prominent, but if it's done properly, it fosters a kind of meditation in smarnam that causes us to experience something like this. If you do kirtanam and you do it right, and the heart becomes purified and so forth, you start to feel 
like you're going someplace you've been before, although you've never been there before, because it's home. It's the home of the heart. It's the homeland. And for home knowing, we need a home going, for home going, we need a home knowing person. When that person speaks and that hits home, we know that I'm where I belong. This is the experience of the Guru. That's why Krishna's Kaviras Goswami says, the Guru is Antaryami, is, is, is God in the heart, coming outside. It's not a uh, foreign kind of oppression, but our own prospect, so to speak, what we could be, comes before us. I had a student years ago who um, was a young, young lady, maybe 18, 19 years old, and, and, uh, and after she joined, a friend wrote her and said that, I just hope that when you know, you're in this group now, I hope when you look in the mirror, you're, you can, you're still smiling. And she wrote back and she said, actually, when I look in the mirror, ever since I heard from my guru, I don't have that much to smile about looking in the mirror. But when I look at my guru, then I smile. I thought it was very nice because what she was realizing, understanding at that time, was with looking at her guru, she saw what she could be. It was her own self, prospect, good, all the good about her was being drawn out and brought to the surface and in potential and so forth. So it was a, it was a kind of a, a futuristic mirror. So it's not a foreign oppression. That's why if it fit with the guru, it feels so good. It feels like home. We should search to find a guru. And then, then we fall in love. And a relationship is formed and so forth. And that's why we don't like to hear there are many gurus. <laughs> and one. What the one is many at the same time as, as, as we're, we're explaining. So the experience anyway from chanting, which is of course given by the guru in time, as the heart becomes purified and so forth, it's like we are coming in contact with, well, we're coming in contact with ourselves, so it feels we feel at home. Because we've been in a foreign land. We've been like a fish out of water. We're coming in the water. It feels like I've been here before. Like That's why we call it back to Godhead. Phrases like this are used. It's, although it's a new experience in one sense, it's the experience of yourself what you are, what is the homeland, the homeland in the heart. So this, from this chanting then, kirtanas prabhavi smaranas vobhavi. This smaranam comes. This smaranam is kind of a visualization. So this verse, divyad vrindaranya kalpadurumadha, it's a visualization he's describing. There in Vrindavan, in that place where everything's alive, underneath a tree that is a kalpatru, divyad vrindaranya, Kalpaduma. It's a tree that fulfills all desires. Not like the trees we see here. They are like the trees, but we don't see them from that perspective, that point of view. That's that angle of vision. He's seeing underneath that tree, Radha and Krishna sitting there on a, on a throne. And Dibhyad Vrindaranya, in the forest of Brinda, Dibhyad, divine, Vrindaranya, Kalpadumada, Srimad Ratnagara, Singhasana stone, a beautiful jeweled throne, he's envisioning like this. Sri Sri Radha Govinda Devo Prestalivi. Prestalivi, Sevi Manu Smarami. Smarami, he's remembering this, he's meditating on this. So the Smarnam is prominent in the Rag Marg. The chanting will foster Smarnam, like we heard Gopakumar and Brigad Bhagavatamrita, his final reach to that plane came from two things, chanting the names of Bhagavan that were dear to him and remembering the Leva. Then he was. Then he arrived at his at his final highest ideal destination.
Goloka Sasaka. So this verse says, it's a, it's a visualization. Chanting is more important, but it fosters this. And this is not, um, in the same way, part of mighty bhakti. There's a remembrance there too, but not in the same, it doesn't take the same prominence as it does in the Ragmarg. And what's mentioned in this verse, very nice too, Presta libisivya manosmarami. The Presta, the Presta, the Presta libhi, those who are dear to Bhagwan, all the gopas and gopis are there, surrounded, he's seeing them. And these are, of course, the exemplars that exemplify a particular kind of love of Krishna that awakens in the heart and that is he wants to follow. So he mentions them here. This is a very nice verse about Abhideya, the means, the way, which Siksha is all about, showing the way, showing the way. Sambandha and Diksha is about making the connection. You got your ticket now. Okay. You purchased it. When you purchase your ticket, you think, I got it, I'm there, I'm, I'm in India, I bought the ticket. But then there's so much instruction that has to follow. You go, you got to press this button, and now there's no tellers anymore. You, know, you talk to a machine, stick it in, and the card comes out. Where do I go next? You go down this line, right? take your shoes off, and you know, go through the thing. And So wait in this room, get on here, put your belt on there. It's the thousands and thousands of instructions are coming. See, all, that's all fostering that the sambanda, that the ticket you've got, that the, the, the relationship, the possibility. We have to be open to that. Diksha without sambanda, diksha without siksha, they will not bear fruit. Siksha is like the watering and the sun and the favorable environment and so forth. So this is essential. And that siksha will come from the diksha and from hearing. The siksha of the guru, suddenly, eventually we'll see, as I said, in time, the whole world will speak to us everywhere. There's nothing to be afraid of anymore. Don't go over there. Don't listen to that one. Watch out for this one. No, you can, you can get it from anywhere. Even from the bad people, you can get so much good advice and respect them. And, and I used to think, that there's a couple of guys, I think I've thought about it for a while, I like to put their picture on my, on my table. They're just really envious of you know. <laughs> They just put it there. You know. just like, it's really good instruction. This guy's really been good <laughs> about how not to be. <laughs> so they put a flower garland on that picture every day. And it, this is a great, great example. Thank you. There are people like that, unfortunately. But, but not, not so unfortunate. It's all in the big scheme of things. When it's all over, you know, then you see it all as a teaching, all as a drama. Was so important to me now, and so, but it's actually all a big drama. I'm learning from. If I learn it right, then it's all harmonized. It all made sense. It was all perfect. It was all arranged by Bhagawan, who's the real Guru Krishna of everyone, appearing as Prabhupada said this morning in many different manifestations. But he's one. In this chapter of Chaitanya Charitamrita, where he begins Bande Gurun, and he explains the plurality of gurus the Siksha Guru in a verse or two, the Diksha Guru in a verse or two, emphasizing the point that the Guru is, is Krishna within, appearing without. The Chaita, Chaita Guru. Chaita means like one's inner kind of spiritual conscience. It's yours. <laughs> it's yours. He's there in that way. He's you. He's your good conscience in there. Chaita. And he comes outside. 
like I said. So it's not a foreign, uh, oppressive element. The experience, the real experience of the guru is like, I'm following my own interest. Like, I can't, I have to go in this direction. This is, this is good for me. This is, hmm? That conscience that doesn't, that, that our mind doesn't allow us to listen to because it's speaking so loudly. It's like we're listening to the music instead of the actual music, the flute sound of Krishna. That, that good advice, we, 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 we're distracted by it. So he comes outside in a form to speak louder than your mind. Make it real clear. Don't do this, don't do that. Go in this direction and so forth. It's over here. <laughs> Something like that. Hmm? This is the idea. So it's 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 uh, you know in our philosophy we are one with Krishna and different at the same time. So see you can see this oneness here coming in this idea of guru. It's your own. Your own. people like to think why why I need somebody else to figure things out. Figure it out myself. Yeah, there's some truth to that, <laughs> but it needs to be nuanced and explained further. You can't even hear yourself. You don't even listen to yourself. You know, your own good, you know, your better half or your, your higher self. It's a very quiet voice in there. So if someone's to come out and speak loudly and personify that, how valuable that is. So he, he emphasizes this point for us, a very important point. And, uh, and he gives some examples. Tesham satata yuktanam vajitam pritipu hukam dadami buryogam tam inamam upayantite. Sites from the Gita, Krishna says, Ah, oh, people love me, they're not in their heart. I tell them which way to go. I tell them how to come to me. Hmm? I give them buddhi from within and so forth. He emphasized this point by quoting the Gita. Then he quotes Bhagavat, Krishna speaking four verses to Brahma. It happened in his heart, antardarshan, internal darshan. The Bhagavan Sri Krishna, Brahma had shook his hand, had a whole experience, explained all these things to him, all this siksha. He wants to say, don't think the guru is something, some separate thing. This is this is this is God coming to you in a way that's just tailor made for you. Pay attention there. Don't think that God is over here, the guru is here. No, God is over there, and so many you know, he's manifesting the deity, but he doesn't usually talk to you. He comes in the form of the guru, and he talks to you. It's tailor-made. And if you follow him, the deity will also talk to you. Yeah. That's the idea. So there's a certain manifestation of himself, which is more important to us than any other. But that is the idea of the guru. This is what he wants to say. And as he takes us through verses like this, he ends with a nice verse from Bilbamangal Thakur. He used to be named Lila Sukha. He wrote a book called Krishna Karnamrita. Karna means ear. Amrita means like immortal nectar. So, immortal nectar that should go in your ear about Krishna and give life and, and so forth. And in the beginning of that, uh, that book, Bhiva Mangal Thakur um, gives a, a beautiful verse, Chintamanir Somagiri, he says. He says, I offer my respects to my guru, Somagiri, who is Chintamani, who is a touchstone. That means like... Uh, by touching him, you know, if, you, if you take a touchstone, you have the philosopher's stone, and you touch it to iron, it turns iron into gold. So by me, my guru is such that by being in touch with him, my lead-like existence has been transformed into molten gold. He has that power. He wants to tell us what is the importance of association with the guru, what it can do to us. 
it can turn turn base metal into into gold into a valuable uh, mineral. Chintamani Somagiri he says, my guru, and I have my respects to my Siksha guru too. Tiki Picha, who got a peacock feather on his head, dancing in Vrindavan under the influence of Jai Sri, who is attracted to his toenails. It says something like that. Jai Sri is Radha, of course, and that dancer, peacocked, adorned, headed fellow is Krishna. So he says, Krishna is my Siksha guru. It's a long story about this, of course. Bilvamangala Thakur was a um, Dwaitan, and he was also had a moral lapse in the form of an attraction for a, uh, as they used to call him, a working woman. I guess that was the only occupation for them in those days. But uh, the, it came to such that he was uh, overwhelmed by his desire to, to rendezvous with her on an evening that was very inclement. Storm was raging, the river was rising and so forth. And, and in spite of that, he went out in the night, tried to get across the river and it was very difficult and uh, floated on a dead body to get to the other side. And he got to the walls of, the, of her chambers and couldn't hear if she couldn't hear him knocking on the door. So he tried to climb the walls and he grabbed a snake and thought it was a rope to get up. And anyway, he got to the top somehow and fell over and he would have been left just for dead. But she, you know, heard the thump and came out and nursed him back to life and said, man, you're nuts. You came out at night like this. And then she said a very beautiful thing. Her name was Chintamani. She said, if you had spent all this energy to find God, your life would be perfect. Instead, you just chased after me with this. And it just struck him at the time like lightning. And so he went left. He went to Vrindavan. He found his guru and so forth. And uh, and eventually in, in Vrindavan, he, in the Dham of Krishna, he had another oper- occasion where he was at a fellow's house, a Brahmin's house, and a man uh, went out to get something and his wife was present and he found himself, his eyes looked at her in a, in a way that was lustful. So he he asked for her hairpin. She said, why? And he took the hairpin and he, and he made himself blind, very extreme. And so he lived in Vrindavan blind and chanted. And, and it's a long story, but Krishna came to him. He had a darshan of Krishna, an internal darshan. couldn't see him outside, but he came outside and he danced around him and so forth. And, he, and Krishna said, try to catch me. And you know, he, he said, all right, I can't catch you with my hand, but you can't get out of my heart. So you're captured there and so forth. So, so, it's a long story. In this verse, he offers his respects to his guru, Somagiri, who's a Chintamani, and to Krishna, who is, you know, who has appeared before him and so forth and instructed him, and uh, so on. But it's a nice verse because, because it has a number, number of different uh, interpretations. So, the, this is the first interpretation, that what? That uh, my, my guru is Somagiri, he's a Chintamani. The other interpretation, of course, is I offer my respects to Chintamani, the prostitute who showed me the way, and to Somagiri who gave me Diksha, and to Krishna who gave me Siksha. And um, another way to translate it is that, that all of them mean Krishna. So the purport, the purport is what? That there are many manifestations of Guru, but they are all manifestations of Krishna. They are one in that respect. So the many, again, becomes one. Chinta. Chinta means, can, can here mean meditation, and mani means jewel. So the jewel, the jewel of meditation, that is Krishna, chintamani, 
and uh, Soma, Somagiri, Sa-Uma. Sa means uh, Sa-Uma, with Uma. Uma is the wife of Shiva. So Soma, Soma can mean a, a name for Shiva, who is Giri. Who's, Giri means mountain. So he who is with Uma, Shiva, becomes frozen like a mountain, stunned like a mountain, in ecstasy of love for Krishna. Or it means, Soma means nectar, and Giri means mountain. He who is a mountain of nectar, uh, something like this. It's, it means means Krishna. Or who is the uh, Giri means worship also. So who is the the, the the worshipable object of Shiva? That is Krishna. Hmm? The nectar of, of of Shiva's life. That is Krishna. So Somagiri means Krishna. Chintamani means Krishna. And he who has the peacock feather, and it's pretty clear who he's talking about. There, Krishna dances with his friends in Vrindavan. And it causes the peacocks to dance in light to try to imitate him, and they drop feathers on the ground as a result of that. Then he picks them up and adorns his own head and the heads of his friends, and, and so on. He's known in this way. So the point, anyway, that he closes with, with this verse is that I began, Bandi Gurun, offering my respects to the plurality of gurus, but they are all one. They are all Krishna. Any questions? Is the Krishna Karma Rika the only place where Bhagavan or Thakur mentions Chintamani in the invocation? I don't know of any other writings of Bhagavan Mangal Thakur other than Karnamrita. Krishna Karnamrita. Krishna Karnamrita was found by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in South India when he traveled there. And uh, he, he, those days, of course, there weren't printing presses, but the texts were kept with Brahmins and they were written on palm leaves and there weren't a lot of copies, so he secured a copy, and he brought that copy back to Puri with him. And there's another book that he brought with him, and that's the fifth chapter of Brahma Samhita. And he told that Krishna's Kabirska says, these two books, one book is the Tattva. All the Tattva, Siddhanta, is found in Brahma Samhita, fifth chapter, and all the Bhava is found Krishna. in Krishna Karnamrita. These two. But I don't think we have anything other, any other written text of Bilba Mangalthaka. It's not, um, it's a book of ecstasy. It's just his ecstasy. Krishna's Kaviras Goswami wrote a commentary on it also. Another question? Speechless. <laughs> So in five minutes we have Artik and then some, some Prashad and so forth and, and in the morning the program is at five.